Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Let's go back to my office and talk about this like two reasonable beings. Nothing? I don't, I don't know. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a long night. I can already I, tell. I, I failed a already. A long night. <laughs> I got two guns in my hands. Put one of them down. I ain't putting the guns down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Hey, Andy, why is there a watermelon there? That was, there's a funny story to that one. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about the watermelon. <laughs> I'll tell you later. <laughs> hey, Andy. Oh, Hi. How are you? I am good. Tell me, tell me why. Why are you uh, so good, you big shot? You big show I just, off. I'm just, I'm just happy. <laughs> yeah. Happy to be. Happy to live. Happy to. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I'm just plain happy. That's great. Did you like take an Ambien before we started? You know, I should have, although I, I am drinking a gin and tonic just to really kick things what? off right. What? <laughs> I know. Uh, hey, uh, you know, um, I, I can't, I've been, I, I've been looking forward to the series we're starting tonight for a long time. I think, I think going on a year. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you're the one who came up with this, and I think it's a fun idea, and and yeah, I, this is a, it's going to be a, a fun little series. I hope it's going to be a fun series. I'm a little trepidatious about uh, talking about mine next week, but well, I I I'll be honest, with you, I haven't watched yours yet, uh, so I'm excited about that. Good, uh, but I um, so we're doing it. We we're, well before we get to all that. I just am telling you that this is I'm giddy with anticipation. That's what I wanted wanted to get out there. That I'm giddy with anticipation. Um, but I, I don't have any good stories of the week. I have done uh, e- exactly uh, nothing uh, because you know. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the truth. I'm I haven't gone on vacation yet. We're pre-recording this just a little bit. I <gasps> by the time we listen to this, I will be firmly ensconced in vacation. And I will be too. Maybe that's why I feel so good is because I'm projecting myself into my week of vacation. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm, I am, I'm doubly giddy because I know that while <laughs> this show goes live, I will be totally vacationing. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. Oh, so anyhow, let's get into the meat of things. But first, let's tell the people where we're from. Please do. Hey 
everybody. It's the next reel. I'm Pete Wright. That there is Andy Nelson. Yo. Who I'm going to start calling Perfect Andy. <laughs> I'm going to bleach my hair blonde. <laughs> <laughs> and we, uh, we spoil movies. We spoil new ones and old ones and all the ones in betweens. Uh, you can find out more about us at thenextreel.com. You can join us on our on the various social platforms to uh, uh, join the conversation online. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty much everywhere. And uh, make sure you search for and subscribe to the show on iTunes. It is the best way to make sure you don't miss a single solitary episode. And with that, because I've already let the cat out of the bag that we pre-recorded this a little bit, we don't actually have a people versus... Uh, outsmarted Stephen Smart Instagram Pony Prize Guest Movie Challenge update. We don't, but we don't. man, I, I, I bet it's going to be a good week. I, I'm sure that it's going to be a good week. Why? Because I'll be on vacation. So. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Then let's, well, let's just jump into trailers. Let's do it. Okay, I'm going to go first on this one, and it's because it's dark, and I need you to cheer me up afterward. <laughs> okay, let me do that. I sort of can't believe we haven't talked about this movie yet, um, uh, mostly because of its its uh, 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 cinematic pedigree, the fact that we've done a whole series on this director's films, and, and this one didn't rise to the surface more quickly. I'm talking about Gone Girl, uh, directed by David Fincher, written by Gillian Flynn, uh, based on her novel, her extremely dark Oh My God novel. Uh, it stars Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, Neil Patrick Harris, and, uh, you know, uh, other people. Um, it's got, got lots of people in it, including Tyler Perry, but I think it's going to be, uh, I think, I, I don't think he's going to be Tyler Perry. And it's know, not going to be I mean. Tyler Perry's Gone Girl. Right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, this, uh, this is a, it, it was a, it's a pretty, uh, it's a twisty uh, twisty story. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read the book. It's pretty grim. Uh, it's about not a great marriage. And, um, uh, I think, you know what it made me think of? It made me think of the story. There was a story about one of, um, uh, David Fincher's other movies. This is, this is going to be horrible. I, cause I can't find the exact detail and you know how good I am with details. But You're there was awesome. a, there was a story about how how David Fincher wanted to control all of the marketing for a, a film that he was doing. It included doing some really bizarre song over the trailer that just absolutely didn't fit. I can't remember if it was Zodiac or or, or something uh, that just was really a, a horrible choice. And then we get Gone Girl, and I get that same kind of feeling about. Uh, you know about his his choice of marketing the the song um, that is playing almost entirely through the thing is the song she uh, that was originally done well it's it's from the seventies but uh, you know it was made famous by Elvis Costello on, on the Notting Hill soundtrack in the late nineties and this version uh, is she covered by uh, Richard Butler of the Psychedelic Furs. And uh, I, I am sort of mesmerized by it. Yeah, it's interesting. He did use a song in the Social Network trailer that I think also was rather mesmerizing. What was it? I don't remember. I can't remember, but I remember really liking its use in the trailer. Um, 
it was pretty good. I think, uh, I don't know if it's the uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo one that uh, might oh, be the one that you're thinking of, the yeah. one, the, the uh, Led Zeppelin cover. Well, that was actually, I thought that was great. Yeah, I remember some people thinking that they they felt that the original song was a little, would have been a better choice. But So I don't know. I'm not quite sure which one you're talking about. But but I do like She in this. I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I want the trailer to be more compelling. But because it's Fincher, I kind of give him a pass. And I, I, I feel like I am excited about it. And it... Uh, I don't know. It looks it looks interesting, and I haven't read the book, so I, I'm I'm really curious about what this is going to be all about. I I got it, um, but it wasn't the song. Uh, this was related to David Fincher potentially directing um, uh, uh, the Steve Jobs film based on oh. uh, the the book, and uh, this is uh, from the Hollywood Reporter. Fincher is said to be seeking a hefty ten million upfront in fees, as well as control over marketing and negotiations with the studio. Sony did allow him considerable input into the marketing of the 2011 film The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, including honoring his request to use the tagline The Feel Bad Movie of Christmas in its campaign. <laughs> uh, so, anyhow, uh, yes. uh, the, <laughs> you know, Oh, what are you going to do? <laughs> you win some, you, you lose win some. some. <laughs> yeah. You're also still David Fincher, so congratulations. Exactly. Um, anyhow, this uh, this film, I, I think the, you know, the trailer is, uh, it's the trailer. It's got some, some interesting music. I think what is most uh, fascinating about it is just that the, is the general, uh, I mean, this, this movie was, or this book is, you know, Best, best, best-selling movies on the New York Times bestseller list for over, or I think it was uh, 79 weeks. Um, and uh, so it is a hotly anticipated property. Um, what, uh, you know, what I hear is that uh, fans of the book, even though it is rumored that the end is different from the book, uh, according to Gillian Flynn, uh, she, you know, the way she says it, don't worry, I wrote it. I wrote the screenplay and the book. It's still dark. It's not a musical. <laughs> that, so. Yeah, that's what that's what piqued my curiosity is the yeah. fact that she um, she also adapted the screenplay, and I heard that she changed a, a bit, and yeah. it was almost like for her as a, a chance to write a, a kind of a different version of the story. So right. I I'm, I'm curious because she says it's going to be. Uh, it's not going to, people who've read the book, it's not going to just feel like you know what's ha- going to be happening. So, Which is it, great in a book like this. I mean, uh, it's, this is, I, I think this goes back to our conversation about, you know, adaptations. And, and I, I like the idea that this is, she's playing with the universe a little bit. Yeah. 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 That's fun. I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about it in uh, probably 2015. I, think. I know. I think we will add it Keep to our, the series. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think uh, that's all I have. Now do yours. Make me feel better. Okay, and yours opens October 3rd. Oh, yeah, October 3rd. Way, way yes. out there. You got time. Yes, a little while. Mine is The 100-Foot Journey, uh, directed by Lassie Hallstrom, um, based on the book by Richard C. Moraes. Is that how you say that? I'm not quite sure. Uh, adapted by Stephen Knight, one of our faves, and produced, and produced by Steven Spielberg and Oprah Winfrey. So quite a, a pedigree <laughs> at the top of this one. Um, it's uh, Lassie Hallstrom, I think, is one of those directors who can be very... Um, his films can have a very heavy dose of cheese in them that some people can have a really hard time with. 
Um, and I can certainly have a hard time with the cheese in some of them, but man, some of them just really work for me. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I'm not afraid I to could say see, it. I bet you teared up at the trailer. I, a I little didn't bit. tear up at the trailer. You this is not liar. a teary trailer. This is a feel-good it's trailer. It's a teary of happiness trailer. It's, yeah, oh, well, my I, God, I'm so happy I cried. I just really want to eat all this food in the trailer. This is a, a story of an Indian family who moves to France uh, right across the street from a restaurant that has a, a, a Michelin star. And it's just one of the, the very fancy hoity-toity restaurants um, owned by Helen Mirren. And it's just kind of that battle of the restaurants sort of story. But it, it, it has that very feel-good look to it that I feel is just totally going to sucker me in. I'm going to be sucked into this film, and I guarantee I'm going to walk out and enjoy it. It just, you know, there's something about it. And the fact that Stephen Knight adapted the screenplay, I think he's really tapped into kind of two cultures coming together and, and the cultural clash of that with like Eastern Promises, Dirty Pretty Things, uh, Hummingbird. Um, there's something about the way that he tells those stories that I think shows that he's got a good understanding of cultures and cultural differences. And I think that this is a perfect story for him to have adapted. I think so, too. This is one I also was totally sucked into the schmaltz. And at the end, I'm not afraid to say it. At the end, when mm-hmm. he sa- when she says, why would you add these spices to this 200-year-old recipe? And he says, maybe 200 years is enough. I choked up a little bit. You did. I see. did. I'm the guy who choked up a little bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good. When does, it, when does it come to my fair screen? Uh, this one is going to be opening in uh, August. I believe August 8th is when this one opens. So it looks it looks really good. I'm going to... I have a feeling I'm going to enjoy this one. I think you are too. Yes. And I it's got Om Puri in it. Which also sounds like a spice. <laughs> He's one of those Indian actors who's just been in so many movies. So many movies. So many movies. Uh, hey, uh, so those are trailers. Awesome trailers. And now, Andy. <laughs> yes, Pete. Buckaroo's in trouble. It's time to get guilty. <laughs> <laughs> He's a rocker. Doctor. Don't talk on that. You never know what it might be attached to. Inventor. Activate oscillator. He's the sound barrier. Philosopher. No matter where you go, there you are. And the only hero. Buckaroo. 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 Curse are you bonsai. Who can save us all? Evil. Good. Simple from the eighth dimension. Grab him. Launch thermal pod. Buckaroo bonsai is pure nutty fun. Buckaroo, you forgot your thruster. Why don't you hold on to him for a while? The cult sci-fi classic. Run, run. In a dimension all its own. Real life Martians landing in New Jersey. Holy Torito! We will fire a portable beam weapon. Vaporize a whole damn planet? If we blow this today, get him up. There ain't no tomorrow. Left, I said left. This is left. I mean, my left. All left. Go your right. The president's calling about, is everything okay with the alien space club and planet 10, or should we just go ahead and destroy Russia? Tell him yes on one and no on two. The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai. Which was yes, destroy Russia or uh, number two? Okay. All right. We're ready. I'm ready. Lay it on All me. Right. 
Are you ready? You, you want totally, me to start? I No, I should probably start. You should start. This is your guilty pleasure. So the guilty pleasure. So it, because we've been talking about this for a year, I, 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 you know, I feel like we've had enough of a teaser. But the whole thing is, the whole brainstorm, the whole thing that I had in my head was, wouldn't it be funny if Andy and I surprised each other with uh, movies that we were just a little bit embarrassed to love? And uh, so there are guilty pleasures. And that, I think, sums it up. We feel a little bit guilty to love. I, you know. And so uh, this is like we're bearing our souls here. You know, I, This is movies that are very close to us. And so we, you know, it's, there's a certain amount of mutually assured Assured humiliation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, uh, as we uh, discussed uh, last week or so, my guilty pleasure is the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. 1984. Uh, the film uh, was uh, written by Earl MacRouch and, and directed by W.D. Richter. Uh, stars everyone, and, <laughs> which is so great. Uh, Peter Weller plays uh, Buckaroo, uh, but not to be uh, outdone. Uh, we have uh, John Lithgow, Ellen Barkin, very young Ellen Barkin, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Lloyd, Lewis Smith, Rosalind Cash, Robert Ito. Uh, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Clancy Brown, are you kidding me? Uh, it, it's just great. Uh, the the story, as I, I think said by one of the uh, one of the the uh, great Buckaroo nerd fans sums up thus a sci-fi action comedy about a half american half japanese rock star brain surgeon physicist test pilot master swordsman comic book hero adventurer with his own volunteer private army fending off an alien invasion from another dimension starring robocop the fly and the kurgan uh that is buckaroo bonsai although i would say that he's not fending off an invasion no, no, he's really not. That's not entirely fair. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Yeah, he's a little inaccurate in his description, uh, although very excitedly trying to get everything in there. So I yes. give him that. I so I I feel like I should I should at least start with why. Um, yeah, why why so do you much. love this so much? Okay, why why is bonsai a guilty pleasure for me? I I have to acknowledge uh, that. It's not a it's not a good film, strictly speaking, <laughs> right? <laughs> the script the script generally is a mess. It takes you know you're talking to friends and family and you say hey they say hey you like that Buckaroo Banzai film what's that about? And I dare you to get through the entire thing in under an hour. Like it's not an easy film to explain to the uninitiated, right? The entire experience is so chock full of uh, this these little bits of pop culture innuendo and references that it is cultivating. It's like actively cultivating pop culture references as you watch it uh, that it's it's really easy to feel like you're watching this long joke between two people that you have never met uh, and and uh, you never are going to, to get the punchline of this inside joke between these two people. That's what it sort of feels like watching it and 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 uh, you know in in that respect it's it's very difficult to for this film to bring in new viewers who who aren't sort of the dedicated sort but I really believe that once you've seen it that second or or third time uh that that you will never hear you know uh hey, what's that watermelon doing there 
<laughs> the same way again. Uh, it, it is, uh, I, 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 I feel like, I, you know, I recognize that this is, this is a, a bit of an odd pick. It's an odd pick, you know, because uh, it, it has achieved a sort of pop culture uh, stardom. Uh, over the last 20 years. Uh, you know, it, it probably dates me uh, more than some other films we've talked about that I, that I deeply love. Um, but I think it's a great film with uh, arguably uh, more substance than people give it credit for and absolutely more class uh, than many of the other films we have discussed. Uh, this film exudes 1980s class. Uh, and I just have fun. So I, I also think that the experience of watching the film uh, takes me back to this point where the act of making movies was completely frivolous, right? right. That you get this sense of these great actors, right? Uh, these actors in this film, many of them are great actors, and they put on wigs and bad teeth and they play, right? That's the, the the experience I get when I watch the Buckaroo Banzai. I, it it is a it's this sense of frivolous play that I don't get in in many other films. That I feel like everybody on this film is having a really good time, and that that comes across even, you know, um, uh, you know, thirty years later. Uh, it, it these people are having a good time, and it's absolutely contagious. There you wow. go. Wow. There you All go. All right. Yeah, and it is 30 years uh, old this year. Yeah. So. Yeah. There you go. All right. That's it. Now lay it on me. What do you got? I this is a film that I I watched it and I instantly could tell that man, I wish I watched this when it came out or when I was of the right age, but I, because I could tell that this would be a film that I would hold close as well. Yes. Um, I didn't. This was actually the first time I've ever seen this movie. I, I think you said that too fast. Let's uh, rewind that. I, I didn't. No, 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 no. I, I'm saying I didn't watch it then. Oh, I only okay. watched it just now. Um, uh, and I can, I can, I can catch on to all the things that I would love about it, um, while s- still going at it for the first time with my my the brain that I have now as an adult and I can see all of the problems and the, the, the strange things that are a little off and everything. Um, so, so it's hard for me to jump onto the guilty pleasure bandwagon on this one. Although I feel like this is a film that if I did happen to watch it a few more times, I probably could start getting there because it does have just some really strange things that happen. This is a, a good example. I felt watching this, um, in comparison to Escape from New York, which we talked uh, yes. you know, uh, earlier on in our series about world building. And the thing that really blew me away in this film was this just really how complex of a world uh, the director, uh, W.D. Richter, and the writer, um, Earl Mac Rauch, uh, created with this whole story of Buckaroo Banzai. And, uh, I mean, it's it's so full. This is a world that is, I mean, it's exploding. There's just so much going on in this story that, I mean, it really kind of 
blew me away that in the mid eighties, this movie came out and there wasn't uh, more talk about it. Now, I mean, I know the budget was more than twice uh, Escape from New York, so they had a lot more money to play with, which is strange for first-time filmmakers. But um, uh, but even then, I still feel like um, they had a really good sense of the world they were creating and created something that was <laughs> really just kind of had a very strange magic to it that um it it's it, it really feels like um and this is going to be a weird comparison but it feels like the lord of the rings in a sense where i get a <laughs> you sense you have just justified all of my love for this film <laughs> I know i have <laughs> I, uh, there is so much detail in this and there is so many little references and so many just things in on the walls and things just uh, props like the prop comic book the the buckaroo bonsai comic book i mean there's so much stuff that they infuse in this world that builds not just the world of this film but this entire world of buckaroo bonsai and everything that he is and everything that he represents and you know the 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 evil hanoi shan and and the world league of <laughs> criminals or whatever it is uh, it's like they really go to amazing lengths to create this world that was so much more than i ever had expected to be in this film and um i i i i have to acknowledge how exciting it was to watch a film um and maybe it's just because escape from new york is fresh in my mind um, but that one was so cheap, and so <laughs> so Ed Wood in a weird way that just didn't work. This one, even even though the story is kind of convoluted and messy, and the 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 whole film itself just has kind of this this messiness of first time filmmakers. Uh, there's there is something about it that is infused with passion of this world that these guys have created that I, 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 I not just appreciate, but I can sense it being something that I could fall in love with. How's that? Uh, you know, I, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of feel like we shouldn't talk anymore because I feel really good about that. <laughs> and it'll only go downhill. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not pull back the covers too much. I, uh, you know, I'm glad you said that uh, about world building. And my, um, I, I had not thought about any sort of comparison to Lord of the Rings. My comparison is one that I thought might be a little bit closer to your heart, which is to Joe versus the Volcano. Oh, perfect. And, and John Patrick Shanley's, uh, you know, first-time uh, directorial um, uh, effort. Uh, you know, we both very much love Joe versus the Volcano, uh, Tom Hanks. And, and uh, I think both of these films kind of approach this, this, this uh, world-building unapologetically. Right. Uh, Buckaroo Banzai is you are uh, we're just thrust into this universe, into this world of Buckaroo Banzai with no explanation at all as to where we are, how we got there, who these people are. Um, you know, I, I have a, I'm, I'm sort of gratified that you had never seen it because I, you know, I don't remember the first time I saw this film. Uh, I don't remember my first experience seeing this film, but trying to figure out this relationship between Buckaroo as a, you know, opens on him as a neuroscientist. Uh, don't, hey, hey, 
hey, oh, don't touch that. You don't know what that's attached to. Um, you know, working on a brain, uh, then to, you know, who are the, the Hong Kong Cavaliers? What's their relationship with him? The movie takes no time. Uh, to stop and acquaint us to the universe. They, it really, uh, you know, as wacky as the film is, it has high expectations of its audience. And I think that's one of the reasons it has such staying power as a cult favorite, because the people who love it, who really attach to it, are the people who, um, you know, who, who really worked uh, to get it. And I think the same thing could be said of Joe versus the Volcano. It has just an, uh, enough of the sort of insider vibe that, that you have to really study it to understand the smarts of it. Um, that, um, you know, that's, that's what gives it that sort of cult um, hit. What do you think? I think that's great. I think that's a, a, a good comparison. And, uh, you know, I think Joe versus the Volcano is a, is a, is a good comparison because it also was a film that that uh, didn't fare very well at the box office, but has it, it kind of attained a cult status because uh, it's it, there's something about the story that draws people in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it's got a, a bit of a sort of sweet sensitivity to it that, that I think draw people in. And I think, you know, I, I, I wouldn't call Buckaroo Banzai sweet sensitivity, um, but I, I would say that, um, you know, as we kind of dig into the cast a little bit, Peter Weller um, is uh, still magnetic uh, as as this crazy renaissance man like this is the ultimate characterization of a renaissance man right uh, oh, yeah. you know this is a guy who who you know it not only he's not somebody that you meet at a party who happens to know uh, you know a little about a lot of stuff he's a guy who actually has achieved excellence practical and professional excellence excellence across crazy uh realm of professions between you know neurosurgery and particle physics and driving race cars and and being a comic book hero and i think peter weller's performance of buckaroo bonsai if if it's not trite to actually make a commentary about peter weller's performance as buckaroo bonsai one of the reasons he's so i find myself so drawn to this character is that it really feels like he doesn't really care whether i like (laughs) him or not like it feels like high school he's like the cool kid and no wonder all these guys hang around him the hong kong cavaliers because he really he just you know it's like whatever you know he's not he's just so awesome well, and he clearly is a guy who lets, who who has that magnetic personality that draws people in, but then lets them join him doing what it is that they do best. Yes, you know, and and so that's what's interesting. And then and what's great about uh, his team, uh, you know, the Team Bonsai, aka the Hong Kong Cavaliers or whatever you want to call them, yeah. um, like Perfect Tommy is not only the designer of the uh, of the jet car. But also like plays the guitar in in the band, and is just you know one of his team, and it's just it it's so funny how generally they all... accepted to be perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, it, you know they they do they all have this thing, and and I love there's there's this this angle of the Hong Kong Cavaliers where we where we watch them adopt a new member. 
right? Mm-hmm. And Jeff Goldblum is that new member. He is uh, a neurosurgeon and colleague of, of, uh, of Buckaroos. Uh, and that's how we, you know, he is the first other person that we meet uh, as they're doing it. Sort of it, it, the, we're, we're led to believe that he has come in and sort of rescued uh, Jeff Goldblum's character by, by finishing a surgery that Goldblum had gotten it over his head on. And, um, and during their conversation, as they're working on this brain, he says, hey, you know, <laughs> do you sing? Uh, a little i dance (laughs) and and suddenly you know this this doctor neurosurgeon is now new jersey and he wears bright red cowboy outfit and a big hat and (laughs) and he sings a little and dances and plays the piano and he's a neurosurgeon uh and and i love that i love you talk about like he he lets these people in to kind of be who they are uh i love it now in contrast we have john lithgow's character as dr emilio lizardo uh soon to be taken over by uh lord john warfen uh one of the uh, aliens from the uh, stuck in the eighth dimension one of the electroids from planet the, 10 the electroids yeah <laughs> uh and he um, you know i get the feeling sort of the that he uh he's the kid that deeply wanted to be a part of the hong kong cavaliers but couldn't understand how to fit in and just went crazy <laughs> yeah even even as the doctor before he was taken over by lord john warfen I mean, he already clearly ha- is a little mentally unstable. I mean, uh, you know, they're trying to uh, open the portal to the eighth dimension, and he just just charges in yeah. before everything is set up and uh, and gets stuck there, which leads him to be possessed. And it's right. it, there is something really crazy about him, which is brought to the highest level, perhaps, that I've seen John Lithgow ever perform. Uh, of the most over-the-top insane performance, which I have to say, every time he was on screen, it was one of the most joyful things to watch because I don't know if I've (laughs) seen any performance like this where it was so crazy, but it was so fun. And uh, it's just, he was a nut, and he really went for it. Oh, did he ever. (laughs) <laughs> with the wig and the teeth and uh you know and the crazy and, italian accent <laughs> yeah and you know he he talks about that a little bit about his um y- you know about his uh his performance um and and i've already uh hang on i have the i have him talking about <laughs> he talks about his performance uh and and uh, he says i have had roles where i came very close to going over the top in Twilight Zone, I almost went over the top several times. I would say editorially, uh, I think that point is arguable. Um, <laughs> uh, but this role is completely over the top. It makes the role in Twilight Zone seem like a model of restraint. Yes, that's true. I do it in a wild red fright wig and rotten false teeth with a thick Italian accent. It's it's wild. So, you know, I mean, it's like none of the absurdity, I think, is lost on these people playing it. But but. I, I would suggest, based on this film, that the caliber of an actor should be judged by the level of sobriety they bring to a part, uh, uh, directly related to uh, the level of insanity going on around them. Yeah. Because that's what this movie is all about. (laughs) It's about taking great actors, making them do serious stuff in an insane environment. (laughs) Yes, indeed. 
Yes, indeed. It is really, I mean, it is just crazy and everybody has to do crazy things. Um, There's something that is great about getting these actors to do these crazy things. John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, uh, actually all the Lectroids, uh, Dan Hedaya and Vincent Schiavelli, um, that little group of these Lectroids all named John conveniently. Right. and just like the, the the weirdness of their names and and like how Christopher Lloyd's character is John Big Bootay, but everyone calls him Big, <laughs> Big Booty. Big Bootay, Big Bootay. <laughs> it's Bootay. <laughs> <laughs> and just like all the weird names of the Johns, like when they're looking at that list of all these Johns that were mysteriously born in 1938 or re- requested social security numbers or whatever it was that <laughs> happened, um, like the, the names of the Johns, I mean, just looking through the cast list, John Big Bootay, John Worf and John M. Dahl, uh, John Parker, John Paca, uh, John O'Connor, uh, John Gomez. Um, gosh, I mean, they just, it goes, John Haya, Yaya, John, John Yaya, Yaya. Yeah. right. Yeah. And then, and then there's all the ones that you just see the names on the screens and it's just crazy names. It's like, they clearly had no sense of the English language. Um, but every actor takes everything they're doing so seriously that it makes this world work because it's just it's it's just craziness. Everything about it is just pure craziness. But because they're serious about it, they they make us believe that this crazy world is real, and it uh, that's the only way you can play a movie like this. I think. True. I you know it reminds me. I when I was in high school. I mean, do you remember the first sort of uh, movie you ever made? Uh, in your youth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember the first script we were writing. I'm trying to remember the first movie I made. Yeah, it's it's not what I want to remember, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think mine has been converted and is on YouTube somewhere. Um, it, it's, <laughs> it was called Dr. Turbo Shots and his sidekick, Throttle. And I was, I, I think this is the, the first one that survived. Uh, and I, I, you know, I can date it only because I had a car. And so I'd just gotten my license. I was still very much in high school. It was Dr. Turbo Shots because the car had a turbo. It was a Saab turbo. It was John Elway's ex-wife's old car. And we got it for a steal. And it had turbo on it. And one of the things that we used to do was we would always do these dramatic um, dramatic product shots where we would do a close-up on this the turbo logo and so the movie became dr turbo shots and i was the superhero and it was complete with stunts provided by our collection of gi joe toys uh where we would we would like throw the f-14 the gi joe f-14 across the across the the frame you know pointing up at at a cloudy sky and then put it in slow motion and tie fishing wire to the to the thing to do a (laughs) jump a parachute jump and and uh cause a cockpit and it fooled my mother so if the bar is is that i mean she really thought we went out to the air force academy and shot f-14s going overhead doing a a, a, a jump which probably would have been pretty easy for you too yeah right well you know they don't they don't they don't uh bail out of f-14s over the air force academy (laughs) that's That's pretty rare you watch those things crash uh but but that was the first and that's what this movie takes me back to it's that sense of oh my gosh i'm in high school with a camera what could i do uh, and, and in that respect, I mean, this movie doesn't stop, right? I mean, it, it, it is full of answers to that question, what could we possibly do next? Yeah. 
and and a lot of it is in props. You wanted to talk about the watermelon, which I think is, for some reason, one of the most wonderful moments in the film. They're running through uh, the um, you know uh, they're they're running through the series of labs in you know Bonsai's um, facility, and they're in the critical stress lab. Uh, and uh, New Jersey uh, looks around and says, hey, what's that watermelon doing there? And uh, he says, uh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> there's, um, you know, there's the, the funny thing about a cult film like this is it, it spurs on a wide, wide variety of, uh, of followers, including those who have websites. And there's a great little Buckaroo Banzai FAQ website that has answers to all sorts of questions that you may have, including what exactly is the watermelon doing there. Um, plus, there's also the actual Banzai Institute website where you can read up on what the <laughs> institute is up to these days. Um, the best part about that is they have an advertisement at the bottom, which is for the perfect Tommy family of funds. Yes. So, yes, it's, it's I mean, they're, they're really serious about this, this world. Um, but the watermelon, I mean, there's a story that you, I'm not going to go into if you want to read it. Uh, well, we can post this link in the show notes to this Buckaroo Banzai, uh, FAQ site. So you can find out what the, the story is within the world of Buckaroo Banzai. But according to the filmmakers, what happened was the, the producer who had basically given them all this money, um, Bagelman, I believe was his name. He had, um, he was watching all of the uh, the the footage every day, you know, all of the dailies as they would come in. And he was, you know, he, he signed off on this movie and gave them $12 million, $12 million to make it or something like that. And, and then he kept having problems with it. Like he was very upset that Buckaroo Banzai was wearing red glasses. And he told them he couldn't wear, like no real hero is going to wear red glasses and they they really liked him, and so they said, we really want him. And he said, okay, you can use him three times. And so they got to use red glasses <laughs> three times in the film. And it got to a point in the in the making of the movie where they weren't sure if he was actually still watching the dailies or not. So they decided they were just going to do something crazy, like throw a watermelon randomly in the shot and reference it. <laughs> And see if he commented on it <laughs> and, and brought it up. Like, what are you doing with this watermelon? That has no purpose in the story. And I guess he didn't. So I guess that there was a, a, a window of time where he wasn't watching the uh, the dailies. But that's that's why they put the watermelon there, just to kind of test the, uh, test the producer to see if he was actually still paying attention to what they were doing. I love these stories so much. Oh, I know. It's very funny. Oh, it's very funny. Yep. Um, uh, let's see who else, uh, strikes you as somebody particularly noteworthy as we work through that. We should, we got to talk about Ellen Barkin, uh, as Penny pretty. Yeah. Ellen Barkin. I, I, I mean, talk about somebody who's kind of, I guess, found a new light as a, a, a Twitter person. She's like very big in the Twitter sphere. Um, which I find, I, very I find it amusing hearing you talk about the Twitter sphere. I know the, the what is it called again? <laughs> the yeah, Twitter Twitter sphere. Uh, Twitter Twitter sphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I I I there's something about Ellen Barkin that I love, and there's something about her that kind of creeps me out all at the same time. I've never quite figured out what that is, but uh, and it's odd 
looking at Cameron Diaz now because I'm finding Cameron Diaz starting to look more and more like Ellen Barkin. Right. Which is which oh, is very strange. I'm so glad I'm not alone. Wow. Yeah. It's a it's a strange thing. But she has done a lot of films and I think she's great in or, or I should say interesting in a lot of films. I, I enjoy seeing her pop up. I think there's a point maybe in the uh, late 80s where all of a sudden she just wasn't doing anything good anymore. I think Sea of Love might have been the last thing I enjoyed her in. After that, I, I think I saw very few things. I saw The Fan, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, um, Ocean's 13, um, that's about it. So yeah. I haven't seen a lot, but she's been very busy. She is very, very busy doing lots and lots of stuff. And uh, I don't know. There's something really interesting and heartbreaking about I think her performance as Penny, and um, uh, it, it that's also kind of creepy because when you think about it in context of the story, how she didn't know she's an identical twin, and her identical twin sister had been married to Buckaroo before she was killed by uh, Hanoi Shan. And and now they kind of fall for each other. It's a little creepy. <laughs> you know what's funny about it is, you know, we talk so often about these characters who are introduced who are not given uh, good B stories, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And for some strange reason, this is a B story I'm always interested in hearing more about. And the entire, uh, the entire story of Penny Pretty is told... Uh, almost as it, you know it's it's told in these just little like side conversations um that you you almost get the feeling the buckaroo is like sort of you know it's just offhanded that he he drops another clue uh for her yeah but uh you know by the end it's a it's it's a it's a story you want her to be resolved the one thing about it that really um I, I won't say it really bothered me, but it just reminded me of how 80s this movie really was, is that her character gets kind of dropped and becomes the uh, the woman in distress that has to get rescued. Yeah, that's true. Which is very, very 80s. Yeah, that really happened all the time in the 80s movies. And I, I would love to have, because I think that she's a, a strong actress who, who has more to her than just having to be the girl who has to get saved in the end. Um, and I, I feel like if this film happened to ever get remade or a different tale of Buckaroo Banzai were told, I think that they could find a way to make her a stronger character. Oh, I don't know if I would want this one to be remade. Well, it, there's there's plenty of Buckaroo stories, apparently, so they could just tell <laughs> another another adventure, perhaps the, uh, the against the, the World Crime League. Yeah, so that never happened. It didn't. This movie didn't do well enough for it to happen, but it certainly has garnered its fan base. And I tell you, these people certainly seem to be clamoring. I mean, they tried to do a TV series um, in the '90s. They have. A, they did a whole uh, trailer of the uh, the jet car cutting through different uh, landscapes, fighting off aliens and stuff like that. Right. Um, they have books like that were out there. Marvel comics did an adaptation of the series. Um, they, they're, I think that there's a, a video game out there. Um, there's all these different things that people have been trying to do because there is a fan base for this. I don't just don't know if the fan base is big enough, but I feel like if the right people latch onto it, they could make a really interesting 
follow-up because it does feel like it's it's it, i mean the whole idea was that it's kind of a serial it's just all these different adventures of buckaroo bonsai and the hong kong cavaliers right right i mean it was an indiana jones thing yeah right you know uh, just another adventurer but this one um a touch more cerebral yeah right um the uh it, the film was uh, let's see it was you know this the how the film ended up getting written uh you know it was it was the you know, not to bring up the John Patrick Shanley again this was one of two uh films directed by W.D. Richter right who was actually more of a writer uh and in fact has written other films that are somewhat interesting. I know one of your uh, the your alternate for the guilty pleasure list was Big Trouble in Little China. That's an absolute fantastic film, and <laughs> I, I I will take that one to my grave, defending it as a wonderful guilty pleasure. I think it's a fantastic film. Uh, he did uh, Frank Langella's Dracula, uh, Robert Redford, Brubaker. Um, uh, we did the adaptation of the uh, 78 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Invasion of I the think Body is, Snatchers, yeah. I think that might be my favorite iteration of that story. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Also did uh, uh, Stephen King's um, uh, Needful Things. Yeah, and he wrote uh, uh, Jodie Foster's Home for the Holidays. Right? and. And then stealth, unfortunately. Yeah, how did that happen? Two thousand five, uh, after ten no, years, no idea. Uh, not much of nothing. Uh, did you ever see his other uh, other uh, directorial effort, Late for Dinner? Uh, the synopsis says two men on the run from police are cryogenically frozen for thirty years. <laughs> yeah. You know, I did not uh, see this, but I was fascinated by the cast because it seems like something I would have accidentally seen, right? Peter Gallagher, yeah. Marsha Gay Harden, and Peter Berg. Right. Uh, like, this this seemed like a film that, that would have come up, and yet it never did. It was completely news to me. Yeah, and it doesn't even look like it's had any other sort of release. <laughs> like, the home media is just blank. Yeah. It never, oh, it never hit. <laughs> uh, so, you know... You, win you know, some. The, the interesting thing about W.D. Richter and um, Earl Mac Rauch, who wrote this script, is just to further this whole sense of creative world building that we were talking about, these guys, I mean, I, I listened to the commentary on the DVD, and these guys, they do a commentary basically saying, you know, they were chosen to, uh, or W.D. Richter says, I was chosen to... Uh, direct this documentary, or I should properly say a docudrama, on this this story that happened to Buckaroo Banzai. And the the audio commentary is done as if this was a, a film based on a real Buckaroo Banzai. And, and they carry it the entire length. And, and uh, Earl Mac Rauch um, is... Um, his story is that he is one of the Hong Kong Cavaliers, and he's in—he's on Team Bonsai. He's in the inner circle, and and uh, so that's how he got to write this novel uh, uh, based on Buckaroo Bonsai's exploits, and uh, came to uh, W. D. Richter to actually direct it. It's very weird. It's, it's like they are so into this world wow. that that they actually are still living it. <laughs> That's too funny. I did not know that. I've never heard the commentary. Yeah, they're really, really, I mean, I mean, they give you lots of information about how it was made, obviously, because they're saying they made a film adaptation of Buckaroo's life. But still, I'm just like, wow, they, these guys are so serious. They are 100 percent 
gung-ho on this, this is true, and we're going to take this one to the grave saying that. <laughs> wow. Well played. Yeah, I, I got I got to say, I was, I was pretty impressed. I'm like, okay, these guys have the gumption to do that. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any, you know, we talked about this. Uh, the film has, uh, it has such a large cast. Any uh, surprise um, cast members show up that uh, anybody up there that, that really surprised you seeing them cross the uh, screen? Um, it was nice seeing, I mean, uh, all of them. I, I think it was a great cast from top to bottom. I think everybody did really well. I loved Matt Clark as the Secretary of Defense. I think he was very funny in that role. I, I just enjoyed enjoyed him a lot. Um, Carl Lumbly as John Parker I thought was great. Um, the uh, the weird one for me was seeing Yakov Smirnov pop in as as the national security advisor with the president. <laughs> I was like, that was so strange seeing him there, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I hadn't thought of Yakov Smirnov in quite a while, but there he was. So <laughs> yeah, oh, that's too funny. I yeah. it, for me it was it's Jonathan Banks uh, as Lazardo's hospital orderly. Oh yes. Uh known I, I think most recently in the the most recent season of um uh, community uh but he was um uh, trout on uh, breaking bad. Yeah, that's uh, right, exactly. And uh I I I had no memory of him uh, being in this film certainly and I hadn't seen anything else that I really remembered him in before I started watching Breaking Bad and now it seems like he's everywhere. Uh, old movies, new mil- movies, he's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and, um, just such a, he's, he's, I, I really like watching his work now. Oh, he's great. And yeah. Bill Henderson, it was great seeing him as the, um, the father of the young boy who's, a uh, I don't even remember what you call them, a blue, uh, bonsai helper guy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, the little, when they put out the call to get some help cause bonsai's in trouble and the, <laughs> yeah, and the kid, and the kid and his dad kill, fly yeah. their helicopter. And the, kid, and the kid got the gun and <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. But Bill Henderson, I mean, he was, he was in clue, which is definitely one of my guilty pleasures. He was in city slickers, white man can't jump Fletch. I mean, he's one of those actors who is just in so much stuff. And, uh, you know, I think he's retired now, but he had been in a lot of stuff and was just one of those faces, uh, somebody that uh, was very easy to recognize. So yeah. it was nice seeing uh, him pop up in there. And, uh, you know, the interesting little bit in, in the, um, uh, the original opening of this film is that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis actually was in the deleted scene at the beginning of this film as Buckaroo's mother. The film opens with kind of a uh, home home film sort of uh, thing of of Buckaroo's parents trying out a uh, the original jet car, which ends up getting um, uh, there's a bomb planted in it by Hanoi Shan, and they are blown up and killed. Um, and so that's when he loses his parents, and um, and uh, what's his name takes over helping him, um, uh, Professor Hikita. And, uh, yeah, but Jamie Lee Curtis is actually in the beginning of this film. And I guess she just, I think the thing with a lot of these people is they really love the script. They didn't necessarily understand it completely, but they just <laughs> loved the, the vibe of it. And they felt like there was something interesting about it. 
Yeah. It, you know, and that that's the experience I get li- reading these stories of, of, you know, Rauch and Richter talking people into this film is that they did. They had to talk them into the film, but they didn't have to talk too long, uh, though nobody who really agreed to be in the film uh, is on the record as saying, yeah, I totally knew what I was getting into when I said yes. Right. Like they all said yes. I, you know, Clancy Brown is one that is, is uh, always a, a treat to, to see show up in these things. He was Rawhide, the main sort of lieutenant uh, right. for, for Buckaroo. Did, uh, did you t- mention his name while I was. No, but you had mentioned him already. I did, as a, you know, because I, I loved him so much in, in Highlander. Um, and Shawshank. And Shawshank. Wow. Uh, and as you know, the voice of Lex Luthor everywhere. Um, if you play any of the uh, video Superman video games or any of the, if you your kids watching any of the Superman like uh, cartoons, nothing. Well, I was going to say, considering we mentioned SpongeBob SquarePants last time, and we he was have Mr. To mention, Krabs, and there, he's Mr. Right? Krabs on SpongeBob, right? Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's everywhere. Um, so anyway, absolutely. Uh, but it's, it's neat to, to see him show up in this one. Yeah. 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 All these young, these great actors when they were young. Oh, and Billy Vera. Billy Vera. Nothing. (laughs) He was pinky Carruthers of Billy Vera and the beaters. Oh, and you know, what's weird about, about pinky Carruthers is that's the other weird thing about the DVD? Is you can there's uh, you can click on a um, a subtitle track that gives you uh, more like uh, factoids, like trivia about yeah. the movie. Yeah, and it's and it's done instead of just giving you facts about the movie. It's it actually says, "Hey, this is Pinky Carruthers, and uh, they authorized me to to tell you more about the story of Buckaroo Banzai." and Instead of like just telling you facts about how the film was made and stuff like that, it's like giving you like more in-depth detail about the story, like filling you in on the characters and things <laughs> like that. It's another like, layer. I know. It's like these people really took it to so, such extremes. That's awesome. Yes. Well, this was his first film, although if you look at his filmography, uh, he's been in, uh, you know, he's been a lot more. He's been in 31 things, mostly TV, lots of voice stuff. Um but this was his very first film, Billy Vera. How funny. What would you think I would? <laughs> Nothing. No. Nothing. You're not going to jump in. I'm not going to jump in. You okay. you take that one. No, I got no. I won't. <laughs> I'm not going to lay it all out there. Not for you. Not for Please. Uh, okay. So how did uh, you, you, we've already had allusions to the, um, the uh, performance of the film in theaters? Do you have numbers? You know, I have some basic numbers for it. Like I said, it didn't uh, fare well. And I said seven or 12 million earlier. It's was actually 17 million was the budget in 1984 dollars, which is about 38 million in today's dollars. And um, it made domestically about 6.3 million or so, which is about 14 million in today's dollars. So it definitely lost money. Um, it all, all in all, it adjusted. It was losing about two hundred thirty-two point seven thousand dollars per finished minute. Mm, that's but that's too bad. that's at the time of release, and this is one of those films that 
with the cult status and with kind of that growth of people finding uh, a, an attachment to it, it's found a fan base. And, and now people are happy to spend money on products, on, on uh, copies of the film. And so I don't know if it would have actually made its money back by now, but it certainly would have continued making money because it's just going to keep selling. Well, I just wish that it had made enough to guarantee the sequel. That's what yeah. I would love to have seen. And, and right. I have to hope someday. Like, I, I would hope that this would not be remade but that someone would just come along and continue the story. Well, W.D. Richter said, you know, there are so many stories in this universe that, uh, I mean, it sounds like, I don't know if, if it's going to be the, uh, you know, Buckaroo Banzai against the World Crime League or one of the other stories, but it does sound like they have not stopped trying to get another story made. I don't think if it's the same people involved that they would ever go back and do a remake. I think what they would do is tell uh, tell the next story, um, whether it's the one with Hanoi Shan or whether it's one of the other stories, they would, you know, find another story. So I, I, I'd like to think that the people involved will do everything they can to avoid the remake. I, I hope so, and I hope they stay involved. Uh, at the same time, there is a little part of me, not maybe even not a, a terribly little part of me, that is really quite pleased with the place that Buckaroo has in my own history. And selfishly, as much as I would like to see more uh, from Buckaroo, I really do like where it sits right now. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, let's, uh, yeah, let's rank it. Are you ready to rank it? Yep, I think so. Are you ready? You were, you were ready when we started. <laughs> no, I really did enjoy it. <laughs> I don't know how high I'm going to put it. Yeah, right? But... <laughs> <laughs> I am trying to look at this uh, with, you know, with clear eyes, yes. because I know that even though I really could put this on any time, uh, I, I do have, it is a guilty pleasure. Right. Okay. I'm ready. So head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can see our list, uh, our stack ranked list of all the films that we've done on this show. And you can see, uh, you know, hey, how does our list compare to your list? Uh, and um, you can write us, uh, you can write us uh, letters. And uh, you can seal your letters with a little wax thing with a little stamp to make it official. And uh, you can tell us where we have, uh, where we have done right by you. If we've done wrong by you, that's okay. We just want to know where you agree. That's right. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's do it. Buckaroo right. Banzai across the eighth event. All right. Here we go. Buckaroo Banzai or the Born Supremacy. Well. I would do Born Supremacy. <laughs> you hater. Okay. I'm not a hater. Born Supremacy. All right. Buckaroo Banzai or Atlantic City. Buckaroo Banzai. I would do Atlantic City. <laughs> I would way, way do Buckaroo Banzai. Are you kidding? I'll give you Buckaroo because... I was super generous last week. Yes. I'll give you Buckaroo <laughs> because it's wacky. It, it really creates a world. They do a successful job, uh, unlike uh, John Carpenter. Look, I All don't right. care how you justify it as long as you get there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Buckaroo. Buckaroo uh, or Quarantine? I would do quarantine. I would also do quarantine. All right. Buckaroo or your favorite, the day of the locust. Buckaroo. Hands down and up, Buckaroo. Ah. See, this is hard because uh, it's your guilty pleasure and 
Yeah. Not mine. <laughs> I will. I will. I will take you. I will play. I will play I, with you if we have to. You'll play with no. I'll I'll give you Buckaroo on this one because Day of the Locust is while I think the f- superior film, it is a hard film to watch. Whereas <laughs> Buckaroo, if is if it? anything, it's it's easier to watch. I mean, maybe it's hard to watch because of the 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 era, but it's there's something about it. Yes. Okay, Buckaroo or Thief. I'd probably do would, Buckaroo. Oh, you do see? Okay. I would do. Thief. I'm on the. I could be swayed. All right, let's do Thief. All right. Well, that, well you didn't try very hard. I, I feel like I've given you <laughs> Buckaroo you on have. a few. Well, that you, I you have. have. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I like to be courted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just like to slap your arm a little bit. <laughs> You'll do it my way, and you'll like it. Oh. All right, Buckaroo, or it happened one night. I would do it happen one night. It happened. The walls of Jericho are coming down. Yeah, okay. I'll give you it happened one night. All right. Buckaroo or Run Lola Run? I do Run Lola Run. Yeah. Me too. Buckaroo or Gallipoli? Oh, really? I would do Gallipoli. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, there you go. 95 out of 138. It broke the top 100. (laughs) My guilty pleasure broke the 100. You know what? I'm going to take that. I'm going to take it. I'm going home. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this was great fun. And now I can't wait to move on to next weekend and actually watch your film. This was 2008? 2009. 2009, Knowing. Yeah, Yeah, Alex Proyas and his uh, fantastic apocalyptic vision of a film. This this, uh, This gives me a headache because it's both... Alex Proyas and Nicolas Cage. I know. Like it's... I don't know how to rationalize those two things. That's the <laughs> ultimate definition of cognitive dissonance for me. I think I think a lot of people didn't know how to rationalize those two <laughs> things. <laughs> but oh. I can't wait to watch it. I'm very excited to have a conversation with you about it. And uh, okay, so far, halfway through our big guilty pleasure series, I got to tell you, this went better than I expected. I'm surprised too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andy. Looking forward to next week, my friend. Good talk, my friend. I got to go to bed. boy. talk about amazon andy (laughs) i have a feeling it's going to be a lot of hate there are a lot of fives and a lot of ones there's not a lot of gray area on this film (laughs) i got i'm gonna i'm gonna go with c keeling whose uh subject line is (laughs) zero is not an option (laughs) (laughs) i gave this film a one because zero is not an option this movie just sucks IMHO. I know it's supposed to be a cult classic. I'm sure glad I never joined a cult if this is what you're subjected to. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me sad, but I, you know, someone just hasn't, just, it wasn't able to get it. That is pretty funny.
What's yours? I think I'm going to, just for you, I'm going to give you a five-star one. Oh. By Awesome. Oh. Awesome with no E in the middle. <laughs> awesome. 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 Uh, one of the best bizarre 80s movies ever made. The ideas and characters are so over the top, and references are made throughout the movie as if you have been following the adventures of Bakaroo for years. <laughs> Good, clean, fun. Clearly, they enjoy it, but don't really pay att- enough attention to know how to spell Buckaroo because is... they put Bakaroo. <laughs> this is one of those, hey, stay off my side kind of moments. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, oh, Bakaroo. But he liked it. One of the best bizarre 80s movies ever made. I call it a win. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today.